people who don't know our industry tend to think we're a lot less diverse than we actually are, especially when it comes to female representation. And I actually think that if you compare us to some others, and especially in tech, we're well ahead. Doesn't mean we should rest on our laurels, but I think we've done a really terrific job. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. March is Women's History Month and EEI honors and recognizes the achievements and contributions of women throughout the electric power industry. As our member companies make progress on their diversity, equity, and inclusion commitments, we know it's also important to create career pathways for employees that can lead to leadership opportunities. In today's episode, EEI Executive Vice President of Clean Energy and General Counsel Emily Fisher and Puget Sound Energy President and CEO Mary Kipp discuss how female representation has changed in the workplace, how companies are empowering their female employees, Mary's advice to women who want to advance in their careers, and more. I'll turn it over to you, Emily, to get started. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, Mary, for joining me today. I am so looking forward to to having a chance to talk to you. Um, I think my first question for you is, as Brian mentioned, it is Women's History Month. Does that mean anything in particular to you as you reflect on on your journey as a woman leader in the electric industry? Emily, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I just want to thank EEI as well for doing all it does to support and celebrate women. I I think it's been a a really incredible journey together. Women's History Month has actually gotten more important to me as I've gotten older. Uh, When I was younger, I really didn't give it a second thought. But now as I look at the differences between opportunities available to generations before mine and generations after mine, as well as my own, I think it's really important that we keep it in a historical perspective so that we can see the evolution. Sometimes the evolution is quick. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes we step back. But I love, as a society, taking a minute to celebrate the accomplishments of women. Because as we know, most of history is written by men. So uh, sometimes when we are just studying history generally, the accomplishments of women can be lost. That's a great answer. I I kind of feel similarly about Women's History Month. I probably, when I was younger, didn't think too much about it, but it is an opportunity to to pause and reflect about how women have advanced, particularly in our industry, and to think about the importance of, of representation and leadership, too. I, I know that I was really personally excited when you were first named CEO. Um, to me, you're kind of dual representation. Uh, you're a woman leader, but like me, you're a lawyer. and You don't often see lawyers helming some of our member companies. Um, so maybe it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about how, your thoughts about what representation means, particularly in our industry, which I think anyone would um, sort of have to admit has been sort of dominated by men for a really long time. You know, you're right, Emily, it has. But um, kind of looking back over my time sitting around the EEI table of CEOs, and I started, as you know, in in my prior job at El Paso Electric, I think that was 2015, 2016. And I remember the first time I sat there, one, being intimidated, because it is intimidating, regardless of if you're a woman or a man, to sit there for the first time. Um, But also because of there, there was a very small number of women at that table. And one of the the women I always admired, and she's retired now, but is Connie Lau. 
And she and some others immediately reached out to me to let me know that I had support in that room. And that was really, really helpful to me. Uh, Moving forward now, and it's really strange as I think about it. I think I said this to Tom Kuhn last week. I think I'm now one of the more experienced CEOs in this industry, which it's amazing how fast that happens, right? Just in terms of, of, of time and role, because I have now Puget Sound Energy as well. But moving forward to 2022, I was really heartened last week to see more women around the table, right? And especially coming back, it was my first meeting back after the pandemic. And just seeing the number of new faces and the number of whom uh, were women was really positive to me. So I, I'm going to give a small criticism of our industry, but then I want to celebrate too. Part of it is when I say I, I'm excited about the number of women, we're still not to equal representation. We're, we're still needing more. And we're seeing a lot of new CEOs who are men, and they're very accomplished and very wonderful, but we still need more in the industry. But the other thing that I wanted to comment on is people who don't know our industry tend to think we're a lot less diverse than we actually are, especially when it comes to female representation. And I actually think that if you compare us to some others, and especially in tech, we're well ahead. Doesn't mean we should rest on our laurels, but I think we've done a really terrific job, kind of like we've done a really terrific job in carbon reduction. And sometimes people who aren't familiar with us uh, don't realize uh, the work that's been going on for many, many years. So I I think we should celebrate ourselves a little bit too. I'm so glad you mentioned uh, the EEI board meeting from earlier in March because I had the exact same reaction, especially because I'm the I'm the corporate secretary. So I was taking attendance and I was like, oh, wow, there are a lot more women at this table than I feel like we'd had in the past. And I was both I had the same reaction. I was both celebrating that and I was hoping for more. I was actually, I think, the most diverse board table I've ever seen in terms of women and other kinds of diversity. And I was really heartened. And so I totally agree that as an industry, we kind of need to tell our story more about what an exciting place it is. You mentioned carbon reductions. That's my favorite topic. Um, Maybe we talk about that more later. Um, But as an industry, we really have an exciting story about how we're the future and how we're trying to diversify our workforce. And I think having women leaders really sends that message to folks who are thinking, you know, as they get out of college or as they're looking to start a career, is this the right place for me? But um, I mentioned that you're a lawyer and I'm a lawyer too. Talk a little bit about your career journey and how you um, got from being an attorney to being the CEO of of an energy company. So I like many things in life. Some of us admit it more than others, but a lot of it was luck in my journey. Um, I was working, I was wanting to work in El Paso and I really wanted to work in-house. There weren't really big law firms in El Paso. So I thought in-house would be my best option. And the best in-house option was El Paso Natural Gas. So I actually started my career in El Paso Natural Gas, no relation to El Paso Electric. Although ultimately I worked in the same building for very many years as I transitioned. Um, I think today uh, a legal career is actually a really great way to get into this industry and really become a leader in it. Just because everything is so driven by regulation and law, right? As we look at the transitions that we're going through in the industry, for example, It starts at the legislature, whether it's federal or state, and then it moves down to the regulatory commission. So I think as lawyers, for better or worse, we're very good at reading, you know, very detailed documents, understanding things and understanding the nuances of how to make things work. I also think, um, contrary to the stereotype of lawyers as being combative, 
I actually, in my experience, most lawyers I've worked with who are successful lawyers are very collaborative people like you, Emily, you know, working to find solutions that, that work for everyone, may not be perfect for everyone, but actually work. And so interestingly, I think it's actually probably if I dissect it, my legal background that caused me to want to take the job at, at uh, PSE. I was not looking at the time I was in the midst of a transaction, but Washington State had passed at that time the Clean Energy Transformation Act, which I think is probably uh, the most progressive law in the country in terms of decarbonization. We now have two others, uh, the Climate Commitment Act, and um, we also have a low carbon fuel standard. So we've got our work cut out for us, that's for sure. But I think being a lawyer and having had the experience and the, the really the privilege of having gotten to work with a lot of engineers over my life, I think it's given people like me, people like you, the ability to look at, okay, how do we take technologies? How do we take uncertainty? And how do we both shape and apply the laws and regulations to make all of these things a reality? So um, I think it's been fun. And I think we're kind of in the perfect place at the perfect time. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think electric companies are kind of at the center of trying to solve all of the big problems. And so it is an exciting time to be in the industry. As you were making that transition from uh, law and policy, and as you pointed out, you never really leave that an electric company because we are such a heavily regulated industry. But as you were making that transition from maybe having a more legally focused career to becoming an executive, were there particular mentors or, you know, people who really helped you on that journey? And can you talk a little bit about maybe any of the advice they'd given you? Yeah, so so my key mentor, I've and I've talked about him a lot, but it's Tom Shockley. And he uh, was on the board of El Paso Electric. I actually went back to El Paso Electric from FERC, and I went back for personal reasons. And I thought, this is probably the end of my career. You know, nothing good's going to come from this. But I decided to make the best of it and to try to shape things and work on interesting things that I wanted to. And by the way, Everyone down the hall then in the executive offices, except one person, were all white men. So very different world, right? But our, our then CEO left and Tom Shockley came off our board um, as interim CEO. And he had also been chief operating officer at AEP for a while. Um, and I started getting to know him. And I had so much respect for him for a variety of reasons. And many of them... Um, and I'm glad that you're talking to Lisa because many of them, I think, are very much AEP values. And um, he respected our community. He respected the employees. He had great respect for the environment and doing things kind of in a, in a logical and yet compassionate way. And one of my favorite things about him, other than the fact that he really loved and respected his wife, which I always judge men by, um, but he, uh, he would say the same things to me sitting one-on-one -on -one in his office that he would say publicly. And I loved that true alignment and that transparency. And even though he was a white man in his 70s, he, I think, exhibited values that were ahead of his time. And so he was a, a huge mentor to me. I didn't know at the time, but he was charged with coming up with ideas for successors at El Paso. And I did not even consider myself in that realm. Um, but I did notice he kept giving me more and more work. And, um, you know, one day... There I was and, and had to go meet with the board and, and talk to folks about that. So it, it, it worked out really, really well. In terms of advice he gave me, he had, he had a couple of funny ones that I really liked that, 
those of you who know me well have heard me repeat way too often. But one is you can't fall out of a ditch, which I really like. <laughs> Another one is you don't have to drink it as hot as they serve it, which for a long time I had no idea what that meant. But it means you don't have to make a decision right away. You can actually think about things a little bit. But um, really, it wasn't words. It was more the characteristics, the behaviors, and the beliefs that he exhibited that made me really, really um, believe this industry was the right place to make a difference and do a lot of good because we touch just about everyone and we have a huge role in climate. And as you know, um, that's one of the things that is most important to me in all of the work that I do. That's terrific. I, I love the idea of uh, mentors coming from unexpected places. Like you said, uh, a much older gentleman who'd been in the industry for a long time, being the champion of a younger woman. Also, I'm totally going to use you don't have to drink it as hot as they serve it. I love that. Um, and that's, I think that's an important thing for a leader. Sometimes when people come to you and they tell you something's happening, you feel like you have to have an answer right away. And so we should all take a deep breath. But um, I think one thing that your story really highlighted is that often women don't see themselves in leadership positions and somebody has to come tap you on the shoulder and say, no, I see you. And I think you have potential. How, how do you think we can do that within our companies and with, within the industry? Are there specific programs that we could be focused on so that we let women with potential know that we see that they have a, a trajectory? Or do you have any thoughts about that that you can share? Yeah, I do. So if I if I can go back to El Paso, actually, my first day that I became president at El Paso, um, a group of women in the company had approached me about starting a, a women's leadership group. So we actually announced it. It was their work, not mine, but we announced it on my first day as president. And I, I believe that's continued to this day. So I think that's made a difference. It's a place where women can talk about leadership, can be vulnerable and talk about experiences that if you're not a woman, you probably haven't had them. Although we did have a couple of male members and it was really nice to have some allies in there. Um, I have to say that PSC, long before I got here and I had nothing to do with it, and I'll give, I'll give Kimberly Harris, my predecessor, a lot of credit on this, is really having um, a lot of women in senior leadership positions. And I think just having that visibility and seeing, you know what, they're there. This is a normal thing. This is actually possible. This is potential. I think that's really important. And of course, we have a lot of um, employee affinity group type things, employee support groups and, you know, across the diversity spectrum. And I think that's really important, not just for women, but for everyone. I'll tell you recently um, in my hiring, uh, when I came up here to the Pacific Northwest, obviously, it's very different from being in the desert Southwest, which is mostly Latino. Um, when I came up here, I, I was struck by, <clears throat> in some ways, the lack of racial diversity, I would say, in, in the officer team. And I wanted to make a big difference there. And so that was that was something I'd really, really been focusing on and continue. And I know all of us across the industry have done that. And we've got to continue to do that and make it part of the fabric of what we do. And it can't be just be a flash in the pan. So I thought I had lost focus um, on looking at women enough and thinking about how do I help women uh, in their careers, because I'd been focused on DEI more broadly and especially people of color. Uh, so I thought, you know, I'm just going to hire a couple of summer interns uh, myself for the CEO office, and I want to have them have a couple of characteristics. One is I wanted them to be women. And two, I wanted them to have liberal arts backgrounds because and that's a whole nother discussion. But I'm a big believer that it's not just STEM, it's also the liberal arts are really, really critical to our success as an industry and actually to our country as a whole. So I've hired a couple of women interns 
it's a very small thing, but I think it's significant because what I'm showing the workforce through my actions as CEO, because luckily I have the title that makes people sit up and listen is despite the fact that right now we're really, really focusing on advancing people of color, which is critically important because I think even in the revolution that happened for women, people of color were still left behind. Um, I still want to make sure that we're reaching out to young women. And in particular, I want to show young women, especially from liberal, liberal arts backgrounds, that the utility space and the energy space is a really interesting place to be because so many people think about it as purely engineering. But if I take an example of, of these two interns who are coming in, one is going to work in our sustainability space, and I think that's going to be perfect. The other one is going to work in our tribal relations area, and obviously here in the Pacific Northwest, that's really important to us. So I want, I want to show women that it's not the stereotype of what you think. There's all kinds of opportunities here. And we also need to continue to informally mentor people. So um, I spend quite a bit of time when college students reach out to me and want to talk to me, whether they're women or men, really, if I can, and I can fit it into my schedule, having those one-on-one -on -one conversations. And I think that that's just really, really important for all of us to, to do as leaders and incumbent on us to take some time to give that back. That's such a generous use of your time. I, I'm often struck um, about at least generationally that I never would have approached a CEO, but I love, I think that's just a Gen X problem, but I love that people are approaching you and asking you and allowing you to be sort of the, the human face of a really dynamic industry that values diversity and that has places for a really broad set of people to be in leadership positions. I wanted to go back and flag one thing that you sort of glossed over that I actually think is really amazing. And that is, I think you are the first CEO who is a woman whose predecessor was also a woman that I can think of in the industry. And I just think that's a great, like, first thing for us to recognize, you know. Yeah, that, yeah. it is. And and there was quite a bit of press at the time um, on that. And I hope that we see more women to women transitions and hopefully we will over time. I, 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 my fingers are crossed. I think there are some opportunities uh, as we look around at the industry and some of our current leaders. I also really like your focus on bringing people not just of diverse backgrounds, but diverse educational interests and diverse skill sets into the industry. I think sometimes that also can maybe um, maybe keep some women candidates out who think, oh, this is just a, an industry for engineers. We need engineers. They're super important for us to keep the lights on. But there are a lot of different roles within an electric company. You don't necessarily have to be from an, an engineering background to be able to, to play a real role. Um, you know, I'm actually a utility lawyer, child of a utility lawyer. So I often feel, which is not normal, <laughs> but I often feel like a little bit that I was so lucky because I had that as part of my ecosystem when I was thinking about where would be a cool place to work, um, that I knew that, that electric companies had a lot to offer. Are, are there other particular like women-focused initiatives in addition to this really cool thing where you're tapping people to come spend time with you this summer? Are there other women-focused initiatives that, that Puget Sound is focused on or that you're interested in? You know, there isn't anything specific right now other than kind of the employee groups that I've talked about. Like I said, I think we've gotten to a point where we have really good representation of women across the organization. Obviously, it's never enough. Um, but for the time being, we've been tr really trying to put our resources that we would use to focus on diversity more on people of color um, and on equity as it relates to our clean energy transition. But just the question is a reminder that we can't lose sight of it. 
right? We have to make sure that um, in a very intentional way and in a broader way than we're doing currently, we need to continue to make sure that we promote opportunities for women and have these resources available. That's terrific. And sort of as a final question, do you have any advice that you give to women who want to advance their careers and become leaders just generally? Like I said before, like women often don't think of themselves as leaders. So like if someone's really excited about someday being a CEO, what would you tell them to to think about or to do? You know, Emily, it's so true. It's it's really interesting. There are kind of two stories that come to mind. One is um, in politics. Um, it seems that women have to be asked three or four times to run, and there's data that proves that out, versus men who just kind of step up and do it. Um, similarly, I think that um, I once went to a class when my sister was at Harvard Business School, and it was a leadership class, and the professor was amazing, and I was just sitting in. Um, but the professor talked about the fact that when men move from one job to another, they have a huge loss of productivity temporarily, and then they get back to where they were or increase. Women don't have that. And she said, studies bear out that the reason for that is women don't have as good of a network as men have typically within their organization. So one piece of advice I would say is don't be hesitant to create a network, to reach out, whether it's women or men. I mean, I've spent a lot of my life working away in obscurity and not really thinking about creating networks. But I think it's really, really important that we do it. And then the point I wanted to make, Emily, and it's actually, I'm just stealing a point you made, which is as a fellow Gen Xer, I would never, ever, ever have reached out to any CEO or probably any corporate officer because I would have thought I was being a bother or that was inappropriate or whatever. Reach out. The worst thing that happens is they don't respond. The best thing that happens is you start getting to know them and you actually develop a relationship with someone that you can you know, use as a sounding board and maybe provide some opportunities. So don't be self-limiting. I love that. Thank you so much for spending some time with me this afternoon to talk about women leaders. I'm so inspired by you and the other women leaders in our industry. I was really excited last week to look at that board table and see all these women who are leading our industry and are as passionate as you are about some of our key challenges and opportunities, particularly within the climate space. It's been really fantastic talking to you. Thank you again. Well, thank you. And you are one of those women leaders. So thank you for being there as well. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.